0: This is Comic Picks by the Glick. Here's your host, Jason Glick. Yes, and here I am once again. Okay, now, see, not too much to say about surf start, start of this time because, hey, we're just picking up from where we left off last time with Warren Ellis. That's right. We were talking about that last time. Yes, and but, hey, last time we talked about his creator-owned work, now we're talking about his work-for-hire um, work. Oh, work. right. Because hey, Ellis has gone off on the fact several times about that, hey, you know what, while creator-owned work is a force of the is the future supposed to be the future of the industry hey you know if you actually want to eat this week you gotta work for do some work for hire work for Marvel or DC they have deep pockets they could probably pay you yeah, a fair wage huh oh that is so true <laughs> and the thing is while Ellis has well he's like basically not just a fan of how the fact that superhero fiction has basically taken over like 90% of like the market for for all graphic novels the, the man is like she's really damn good about it, coming up with a lot of stuff like this mm. And really he made his name first while working for um Jim Lee's um Wildstorm imprint, basically taking over um the Stor- their um, the Stormwatch team. Mm-hmm. Now prior to prior to, t- to Ellis taking over, Stormwatch is basically a just generic X-Men ripoff. they were basically a UN group, um UN group funded group of superheroes who just um fought bad guys. And that was it. <laughs> so and once Ellis took over, he basically um made basically made them into a team who was some more Weren't going after, going after the bad guys before stuff happened and, instead of just, like, waiting for stuff to actually happen. Now, once... the well, problem is like... he After, like, several volumes of this, he real he started to realize, like, hey, you know what? This group, as it is, like, it's, it's yours. We're not actually, like... Pro- we're actually, like, equipped for it to take it out, like... Just, like, doing the kind of super stories he wanted to tell. And so, eventually, he went went and killed them off. How did he kill them off, you ask? Well, he basically had aliens go and kill them all. Do you mind that's... Aliens, with the capital A. Aha. Uh-huh. All right. So what kind of aliens are those, John? Was that the movie Aliens? Exactly. Before? Alien, Aliens? Yes, because basically in the Wildcats-Aliens um, crossover, which um, Ali- with Ellis had basically had no desire to write until the um, editors at Wildstorm told him, hey, you know what? if you want to, you can kill off like all the um, Stormwatch members you wanted to. Ellis went and said, okay. So basically, <laughs> he went and killed off half the um, cast for Stormwatch in the Wildcats-Aliens crossover. And the, the members that were left, at least they made into The Authority. Now, some of you pre- people have probably heard of The Authority as, as we say, it's, the, it's a team it's formed by um, Jenny Sparks, the spirit of the 20th century. He's got massive control over lightning. Mm-hmm. Let's see Jack Hawksmore, the spirit of the cities. Swift, fastest human alive. The engineer, the master of machines. Apollo, um, the ma- the sun god Midnight, or the man who can see a thousand moves in in your head at one time, and basically kick your ass that way, <laughs> and the doctor, um, the, like the mad, the mad drug lord, drug lord spiritual genius of the of our of our era. Now, with the authority, Ellis basically wanted to just do like big widescreen superhero action with um with artist Brian Hitch, and God and man, he pulled this off beautifully with the first two volumes, Relentless, and. Well, I can't remember what the second name of the volume is, but... <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> but see, the first four volumes that, um, that Ellis did and later was taken over with by, Mar- by Mark Miller, it's, like, are, are b- very worthwhile. And, basically, it's, it's, it's great, but, like, ha- great super, great um, wide-scale superhero, superhero action where, basically, like, the heroes basically take on, um, like, the call are called like, Ming the Merciless, who basically wants to um, go and kill everyone in, in, the, in the world because, hey, you know what? Because he can't, because terror is his game. And then the second arc basically involves them taking on taking a bunch of aliens from a parallel universe who realized, hey, you know what, we've finally been able to like open up this parallel dimension to an, to to um to the Wild Storm Earth. Why do not just kill everyone there in order to expand our empire, you know? It's it's fun stuff. And the final arc basically involves um it's just a riff on um H V Lovecraft's um old gods coming back to Earth and just like going and killing everyone. It's great stuff and Mark Miller only, like, upped the game later on by basically, you know, just having the authority take on, like, the uh, going after the infrastructure rather than just, like, reacting to the threats. Gotcha. It's good stuff. And after that, well, like I said, Ellis imagined the authority as being his big farewell to superhero stories, where he basically figured, like, after this, you know, I'm just going to do creator-owned stuff for the rest of my life. That didn't work out quite quite so well, so... Basically, he wound up working with Marvel later on. So, and thanks to Marvel's deep pockets, he wound up um, telling lots of great superhero stories afterwards. <laughs> see, um, one of his first forays in the mainstream universe was um, was with Ultimate Fantastic Four, volumes two and three, Doom and Endzone. Doom was basically the introduction of Ultimate Doctor Doom. Which, to be put it gently, was a misfire. Uh-oh. I mean, it's like he he has a great great handle on writing the um the, the um ultimate Fantastic Four team as teenagers, but Doom, who just imagines like a um, as just as a bitter as a bitter teenager um, lashing out at the world, just just doesn't click. I mean, it's like it's it he like Doom just doesn't seem as threatening or as imposing as he does in the regular Marvel universe. And it's not a bad story, but overall, like. He, it, you think it could have done better. The other story, End Zone, which is which is probably the best Fantastic Four, Ultimate Fantastic Four story. I Man, like he really got his he really got his bearings on for the second arc. Basically, involves them going exploring the Negative Zone, encountering a wolf, both, both trolls, encounter encountering Ultimate Annihilus, who basically wants to try wants wants to try and take all their knowledge in order to save his universe. And, you know, like a lot of this concept else, else introduced in this arc were, were played later on. In the, in subsequent stories he did for the Ultimate Marvel Universe, it's great stuff. And it's it's a good sci-fi, all ages sci-fi story where the where the heroes basically going going to explore a new strange strange world, and kind of like lots of people want to kill them, and then having to fight their way out of things. It's good stuff. Yeah. Now, Ellis has, has also has a great big tech inclination. Okay. You know, as far as like you know, upgrading like humanity or for like what things are going to be like in the future. I talked about this last week when he mentioned his, his masterpiece, Transmetropolitan, and you figure with his big tech inclination, he'd be a great writer for for Iron Man, mm-hmm. and he was. Oh, right. The problem is that the Iron Man arc he wrote, Extremis, took three years to be written. Oh, wow. Yeah. See, the reason for that is because the artist he got, Adi, Adi Granov, who's done a lot of concept art for the Iron Man movie and a lot of covers for the series... Um, subsequently, he's also doing the um, Viva Las Vegas arc with um, Iron Man director Jean Favreau. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that arc has gone right off the rails schedule-wise mm-hmm. because Gronov, well, he, he can do covers like relatively quickly, but otherwise, the guy's slow as shit for um, doing a regular story arc. All right. Still, Extremis basically um, has, as um, in, like a soft reboot of the series. Basically, like just doing Iron Man- you know the the tone shark you know I mean, he's he used to he used to manufacture weapons, but now he's trying to like to, um, do right by the world and Ellis's um idea for the story is basically like after he's after this um this virus extremist is stolen from from a government research lab um and used to upgrade like a uh, an American militia ter- terrorist who's basically like going around wants to bring American values back to the way they used to be um Iron Man has to use this virus himself in order to upgrade himself. To the basic point where he is the Iron Man technology inside his own body, hmm. and the suit is basically just his armor. Wow! Yeah, it's yeah. a great it's a great story, and I it's, I wish the series had gone on had had finished quicker because I like, I don't know if if just signed on for the first six issues and that was it, but I would have liked to have seen him do more with this concept because while well, other writers seem to struggle with that, and it's a simple concept. I mean, like instead of with so like Iron Man being just being the armor. I mean, like now he is the computer, and the and the suit is just the armor. I mean, like it's. I would like to see Nellis develop this this theory more. Mm. But it, but that's it. Like the um, overall arc, Extremis, highly recommended. Like if, especially if like the, if you like the Iron Man movie as well. Oh, right. Yeah. So, well. Well, Ellis has also been um, very upfront about what he does for work for hire. Like, you know, I'm just doing this because Marvel pays me to. <laughs> One of the ideas that was pitched to him came to him came up after the um, Marvel's big Civil War crossover. One of the concepts he introduced was basically the fact that a lot of um, A-list Marvel villains were basically going to be um, employed to um, track down unregistered superheroes, like superheroes who basically had registered their secret identity with the government. And so they were the... Um, they actually... They're gonna be the new Thunderbolts team. Basically, this series of villains who are now "quote unquote" heroes working for the government. Now, Ellis's um, team very a-list in terms of villains <laughs> because, like, once like we said, once it's like I hear the, I hear about the ideas people he wanted for the team, it gets great because basically it's Ellis writing up um, Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin, leading a being a team of villains who are considered consisted of Venom, Bullseye. And a, a, another, another, um, another villain is like um, like like a um, penis, or at he was. Well, penis isn't really a villain. He's basically um, dark Speedball, and yeah, it's like he's a Speedball is a, a goofy, happy-go-lucky, happy-go-lucky hero who is basically um, implicated in the whole impetus of the um, Civil War crossover, and basically became he became angsty and dark. I'm just standing in the wrong line. Yes, yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous, but. <laughs> he also, but the thing about this, the really thing makes the series great is that like Ellis also like it's not just like much of superhero. Well, basically the thrust is superheroes go after like nice superheroes, um, who haven't really done anything wrong. Only just the fact that they're not actually registered with the government. But it's, but Ellis also sets up lots of conflicts within this team. Right? You've got Norman Osborn running things, but he's slowly going crazy because Norman Osborn I mean, he's not sane man I mean he's when they're tasked to go after a villain a superhero known as the Steel Spider you know, oh it's the Steel Spider man Steel Spider man Spider-Man yeah. oh I watch Spider-Man <laughs> and it's, like, it's fun seeing him go crazy like that but yeah. he's also got um, other factions working against him like like other people who used to work within the old Thunderbolts team who are villains trying to become heroes like Somberg and the and the radioactive they 're trying to like become be heroic in this situation, and then you've also got other characters like like Moonstone and the Swordsman, who are basically just think Osborne as a dick and they want to just run the super, run the team themselves like lots of fun conflict within this series, and this first volume Faith in the monsters, really lives up to the all the potential I was expecting from this from the series and i'm looking forward to getting the the um second volume um Caged Angels, which is available in Marvel Premiere Edition hardcover, which is, I think is a ripoff. Mm-hmm. We're on that later, yeah. but as soon as that volume comes out in softcover, I'm all over it like white on rice. Alrighty. So yeah, Faith in Monsters, excellent stuff. If you if you want to see like Marvel supervillains, I'm um, going after, go after the superheroes who you've never heard of. Right. And you also got like a nice little fun scene where um you get to see um Stanley promoting who wants to be a Thunderbolt. <laughs> yeah, we get to go after like you'd see him promoting supervillains like Stabity Jones, who's got knives on his feet. <laughs> Stabity Jones. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and while I just mentioned the um, Marvel Premiere Edition um, a few seconds ago, it's like I also think it's like it's a generally crap idea because, I mean, Marvel likes to put out like, a lot of their quote-unquote prestige hardcovers, like, you know, just like all the new Avengers, and then just crap like... Um, Wolverine Evolution or Ult- the Ultimates Volume Three in hardcover—it's like crap that like you, you don't want to put this stuff in hardcover because it basically devalues the idea of a hardcover format. Because so you want to, like, you put stuff in hardcover that's going to be like remembered for years, right. and you want to have like an edition that's going to hold up over time. Right. And really, like when it comes to like some- a permission like, that justifies the format, there's really no other like, Marvel edition that I feel that justifies a hardcover format more than Next Wave. Agents of Hate. Oh no, right. Yes, two volumes, available in actually in soft cover, and if you find it, the permission hard cover. But it's it's great. I mean, it's Warren Ellis laughing with the Marvel Universe instead of at the Marvel Universe. Because mm. basically, he basically what Ellis took is that he just took five Marvel superheroes who had just been lapsed into like the backwaters of continuity. You had um, Monica Rambo, former leader of the Avengers, uh, Aaron Stack, the Machine Man. Let's see. Um, See, um, Tabitha, who was known as some um, boom-boom of the New-, New Mutants. Elsa Bloodstone, um, who was a monster hunter. And another hero was known as simply known as the Captain. Because, well, all the crap superheroes that Marvel had who were known as, like, Captain something-other who weren't known as Captain America or Captain Marvel, the Captain, he was all those other superheroes. <laughs> and he can't even remember his real name now. <laughs> and so what do they do? Well, you see, they used to work for um, Hate. The highest anti-terrorism effort, hmm. until they found out that hate was some, was suddenly bought out by uh, the Beyond Corporation, who was also formerly known as Silent, who was also a terrorist cell themselves. <laughs> so as soon as they found this out, they figured, "Hey, you know what? Screw you! We're gonna uh, we got your we got your weapons lab. We're gonna go and beat, beat the crap out of all your um, all people you had, in, like, all your research, if you had in mind for." for, like, um, weapons of mass destruction for use against the American people. So who do they fight against? They fight against Fing Fang Foom, the giant, giant Marvel, Marvel monster who, has, who wears purple underpants and has no genitals. Mm-hmm. Like, a giant cop who was um, eaten by a transforming virus who basically turns into his own evil transformer himself. Mm-hmm. Like, evil... Like, evil underworld monsters. Like, ah... Uh, I wish I could remember the name. They... Ah... They're evil bastards who who fight, who just like evil, who just like beat, the, who take over a town and beat the crap out of the rest, who try to beat the car out of the next wave. Evil, evil broccoli men who, who take on the agents of the next wave. The devil dinosaur. All sorts of crazy, like, stuff in the backwaters of a model of continuity. And it's absolutely hilarious stuff. Like, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous, but it knows that it's ridiculous, and it just like goes straight, straight onto that on that tangent anyway and just like goes it for makes it for all it's all it's worth and like i said even though it's it's all it's you can buy these series for like 30 bucks in hardcover total less if you go through amazon right it's it's absolutely it's it's absolute um, wicked fun and it's probably best that it that it lasted for only 12 issues and like i also have to admit that it's yeah it's written by warren ellis Illustrated by Stuart Amonin, who is now doing Ultimate Spider-Man. It's just great cart, and he brings a great cartoonish energy to the to the series. It wouldn't have worked as well as it got had they got another artist, right? And so, like I said, all this I recommend, like you know, Ellis. He's he he he, he the and immense fact that superheroes have taken over the I like, love the the whole graphic novel industry in America. He still does this stuff like better than anything else. I mean, like, I will go to the mat and say that like, all. Of, that if the superhero series is written by Warren Ellis, it's worth buying. Mm. Yeah. And on that note, go ahead and call it a night. Until the next time for a Comic by the Glick. We'll see you next time.